Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run, where we predict the future of money and technology. Thank you to all of the new listeners, subscribers, and followers. If this is your first time with us, we are all here to front run the next generation of wealth creation that we believe is decentralized finance and crypto. It's been a great past couple of weeks within the broader crypto ecosystem, lots of upward movement. I'm your host, John Cook. It's the fifth week of January. 2023, and we are going to answer a very important question for those following the DCG, Genesis, Gemini, and Grayscale just catastrophe that's unfolding. We're going to answer this question. Is Grayscale intentionally delaying its Bitcoin and Ethereum ETF conversion? There is a ton to unpack, and I wrote quite a bit about it on frontruncrypto.com. So for those who want the extra detail, the references, the overall analysis and thought that went into forming this point of view that we're about to cover today, I encourage everyone go everyone to go to frontruncrypto.com and check out the article titled Grayscale Misconduct and Conflicts of Interest with Digital Currency Group. This is also posted in the show notes for everyone to review, which again, I highly encourage because reading is a great way to retain knowledge and information. So quite a few bullet points within this question that we need to explore. Specifically, we're going to better understand the DC Genesis meltdown with Gemini in relation to Grayscale. We actually covered this in part one, but I'm going to do a speedrun of it very quickly. We're going to outline and review the two separate legal proceedings against Grayscale's Bitcoin and Ethereum trust by two different investor groups at the same time. It's quite impressive. We'll review Grayscale's uh, claims of misconduct and conflicts of interest within digital currency group by this by these two uh, separate investor organizations as well as allegations of failure to act in the best interest of grayscale's trust stockholders against the overarching theme that grayscale's etf campaign is essentially an ex a wasteful campaign destined to drag out in the courts for years, I'm paraphrasing uh, some of the legal proceedings, and an elaborate marketing expense to lure retail investors into the trust with no way out. Those are the topics that we're going to explore. Again, the question is, is Grayscale intentionally slow walking the ETF conversion for uh, its Bitcoin and Ethereum trust. And I think if anyone has any exposure to the Grayscale ecosystem, you're going to want to actually read the analysis and form your own point of view. If you have exposure to DCG via probably Gemini, you're going to want to listen because it's really... Gemini was one of the sources of collateral that was able to facilitate all of the uncertainty we're about to review. So let's dive into it. Recall that on January 15th, we actually published part one of Untangling Digital Currency Group, where we tried to explore the relationship between uh, Gemini and the DCG subsidiaries Genesis and Grayscale. Uh, what was what I found like super interesting is that we wrote that on January fifteenth, and then five days later, uh, Genesis Capital petitioned for bankruptcy. Specifically, uh, Genesis is actually a composition of multiple uh, subsidiaries. So when you say Genesis filing for bankruptcy, when we go to dcjfj.com, showing this to people watching on the YouTube, what's actually happening again from part one? Uh, Genesis is. The Genesis organizational structure, it's a composition of uh, Genesis trading, right? Genesis parent firm and Genesis lending. Genesis lending, which is called Genesis Capital, is a composition of Genesis Global Holico, Genesis Global Capital, and Genesis Asia Pacific uh, LTD. All of these firms collectively filed bank 
bankruptcy on January, they petitioned for bankruptcy on January 20th under the collective umbrella of Genesis Capital. It's happened five days after we we published part one. So originally this was supposed to be a two-part series where we like uncovered DCG and did this expose, but we're gonna we're actually gonna expand it out into three parts um, because we need to dive into like the claims of recounting irregularities and potential fraud associated with Genesis. And we have to actually do an assessment of the complex legal structure within the DCG ecosystem that made all of this sanity possible. That is going to be part three. Right, part one, we covered uh, Genesis and Gemini, just like the interrelationship with the merry-go-round of 3AC. Part two, which is what we're talking about now, we're going to uh, review claims of Grayscale's malfeasance, intentional deception, and then the overall set of conflicts of interest between Grayscale's parent organization, DCG, and the independent entity that is that is the Grayscale Trust. But in order for all of this to make sense, just very, very brief speed run. I've loaded this up on the screen um, for those who are watching. Remember from part one, Genesis is a lending desk that loaned Bitcoin and later Ethereum to... 3AC, okay? The collateral that was provided to facilitate the loans to 3AC was the shares of the Grayscale and Ethereum trust, right? So if you look at this loop, once money gets into the Genesis ecosystem, Genesis issues that loan to institutional investors, hedge funds like 3AC, but the loan, the money has to be collateralized by something, right? In this case, 3AC had existing shares of GBTC and ETHE that it posted as collateral, right? Once, here's where it gets kind of wonky. Once uh, the BTC and ETHE is sent to 3AC via the collateral provided from the GBTC, That is sent back to Genesis, who acts as the authorized participant and submits the orders of submits the order to create shares of Grayscale Bitcoin and Grayscale Ethereum to the independent entity that is called Grayscale, and then 3AC receives the shares on the back end, right? So if we just take this end to end, retail users deposit funds into Earn. Gemini, which has made the statement multiple times over that it is not an investor, it's just the agent acting on behalf of the earned customer, who is the lender in this scenario, sends the money to Genesis, lest the fee it collects. Genesis then bundles that collateral, bundles that deposit, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum, deploys it to hedge funds like 3AC. 3AC posts collateral of the collateral 3AC posts to cover. The loan is actually Grace shares of the Grayscale Trust. So now Genesis has shares of the Grayscale Trust, which is again owned by this, controlled by its parent organization, DCG. 3AC sends back to Genesis the Bitcoin that uh, it loaned to it. Genesis then submits the order to create the shares of. GBTC and or ETHE using the deposited Bitcoin and or Ethereum and then 3AC sends it on the receives it on the back end. And what we what we claimed is that uh Ponzi might be an overstatement, but keep in mind that this the Genesis issued long-term debt to Dara's capital against short-term positions from Gemini, right? So the money that Genesis received was uh, was depositor was depositor funds. These are liquid assets that could be recalled at any time, right? But the problem is that Genesis issued long-term loans using short-term assets. So when all of the depositors of the short-term assets want their money back, this is the bank run, right? And Genesis was only able to keep this merry-go-round going between 3AC and Grayscale because there were multiple 
depositors deploying capital into Genesis. But once the merry-go-round ended, Gemini's earned customers were the ones left holding the bag. It's quite unfortunate. If you want to learn more, wrote a very deep article about this um, that you can reference in the show notes or just go to frontrunnercrypto.com and check it out there. So let's dive into the Grayscale box specifically, okay? Recall that Grayscale is a private investment vehicle that was formed in 2013 to grant institutional and accredited investors access to shares of Bitcoin and then later Ethereum without having to maintain your private keys, right? So investors send U.S. dollars to the Grayscale Trust, the Grayscale um Grayscale's custodian, which is a separate entity outside of Grayscale, would take custody of the of the Bitcoin within the trust that was obtained via the U.S. dollars deposited by the investors. A custodian just means they have the private keys, right, of the wallet. And then as an IOU, the investors would receive uh, shares of the trust. In this case, it was GBTC and ETHU, right? So investors had exposure to digital assets in like 2013, 2014 uh, without having to actually own the Bitcoin and Ethereum, which back in the day was super hard to do. I mean, it, it was a pain in the neck to like manage, take custody of your assets. Most people left it on centralized exchanges like uh, Mt. Gox. I know I, I certainly did. And then they lost it, right? So the name of the game was Grayscale gave retail investors the opportunity to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum within their traditional brokerage accounts. That was it, right? And as we stated earlier, the trust issued shares to its stockholders for deposits of cash or Bitcoin, right? And whenever the investor or stockholder of GPTC and ETHE wanted their uh, Bitcoin and or Ethereum back, they could just redeem the shares. So when capital goes into the Grayscale Trust, that's creating shares of GBTC and ETHE. And then when investors request capital out of the Grayscale Trust, they're redeeming shares of GBTC and ETHE, right? And uh, back in the day, you could do that because one of the original goals of one of the original investment objectives of the of the trust was, and I'm highlighting this to reflect the performance of the market price of Bitcoin. It's very important. People wanted to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, and they wanted the the IOU, or I mean, it's technically an IOU, but the stock of the Grayscale Trust to reflect the market price of Bitcoin, right? Remember, there's many, many more, many, many more uh, shares of the trust and there are like Bitcoin and Ethereum tokens in existence. But if you would divide the, uh, the number of Bitcoin or Ethereum in possession, divided by the number of shares outstanding in the trust, like that should equal the market price of Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's like 0.0001 like Bitcoin per share, 0.00001 Ethereum per share. It's one-to-one parity. But I noticed, uh, maybe starting December 2022, like two separate, two separate lawsuits were filed in 90 days. I'm going to pull one out by uh, two different shareholder groups. Uh, One is Fertree, for a tree capital management, I think they have like $3 billion of assets under management. And the other is 210k capital, which is an actual fund managed by UTXO management, right? Both of them make the same claim uh, that the trust has flagrantly disregarded its purpose and utterly failed to achieve its stated objectives, which is having the performance of the trust reflect the performance of the market price of Bitcoin, right? They go on to say, a Fertree partner says, in fact, the opposite has occurred. Grayscale, the trust sponsor, has prohibited investors from redeeming their shares, right? 
off the back of this, the trust shares price has collapsed by 80% within the past year alone. The shares are now trading at a steep 40 to 45% discount to net asset value. This means that for every dollar Bitcoin owned by the trust, its corresponding shares are only worth 55 cents, which is something we've covered in great deal, right? So when I when I actually read the entire claim against Grayscale by both UTXO management and uh, for venture partners, and like my question was, uh, why would it? Why would Grayscale intentionally abandon its investment goal? Why would any investment manager want to underperform their benchmark? It, it, it makes no sense. Like a fund manager of an S and P, of a fund manager whose fund performance is benchmarked to the S and P five hundred, like saying I'm going to intentionally underperform. It makes no sense, right? Investors would withdraw their capital and the fund would go to zero, and the, and the guy would get fired, or the guy would get fired. The the claim the claim that for venture partners and UTXO site is this really perverse conflict of interest within the parent organization DCG. And when you think about it, I, it, it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, at least the allegations of it do. So recall that Grayscale charges the 2% management fee like last year. This was maybe $700 million. That sucks already. But like what really sucks is how the management fee is calculated. Like it's based on the value of the Bitcoin held in the trust, not the market value of the trust shares. So... I think there's 600,000 Bitcoins, right, in possession of the trust right now. 600,000 times anyone Bitcoin's at 25,000. So that's uh, 1 to 600,000 times 25,000. That's 100, uh, 300,000. Yeah, 15 billion. That's a lot. 15 billion. And then uh, if the trust were charging 2% of that, yeah, one, two, three, one, two, three. Yeah, the tr- the trust gets uh three hundred million dollars, uh, <laughs> in a management fee every year just from managing. Uh, that's such a crazy number. I'm just saying it out loud. There are fifteen billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Grayscale charges a two percent management fee annualized. And that is equal to uh, $300 million per year. Now, the members of the trust don't like that because the trust is not actually performing at um, at, it, at the uh, market price per share. So let's see if there were, let's do this again. If there were 60,000, 600,000 Bitcoins and... Um, each Bitcoin is $25,000. That's, again, like $15 uh, billion, but it's trading at a discount of, let's just say, 50%. So that's really $7.5 billion, and then 2% of that. So, yeah, $150 million. So because the trust is charging the management fee based on the value of the Bitcoin and not like the market value of the trust shares, which is trading at about a 50% discount to the net, to uh, the net asset value. That's a swing of $150 million or $300 million a year. That's crazy. That's crazy. So because the trust the way the trust makes money is not based on the performance of the share price. It's based on the quantity of Bitcoins and Ethereum's held in the trust. It creates this weird incentive that the goal of Grayscale is not to maximize the share price of the Grayscale trust, but rather to hoard the number of Bitcoins and Ethereum's in its possession, Right. Then we can see in like the Grayscale S1, I highlighted that just to show this is real. Uh, this is from the S1 in 2013, right? It's calculated the management fee to the sponsor, which is Grayscale, is calculated as 2% of the aggregate value of the trust shares, right? So when it's the 
value of the trust shares as of the end of 2022 was 300 million dollars but if it's the actual market price of each share then it's under 50 million dollars so I go, we go on, the investors uh, who are suing Grayscale say that uh, this creates an incentive for the trust to increase the number of investors for the Bitcoin and restrict redemptions, right? Because if the trust is one way in, your your goal is to get as many people to deposit Bitcoins and Ethereums as possible because once it's in, it can't get out. And that will cover this uh, later on, but that might play into the angle with, uh, you know, Grayscale making a big push to convert, or at least claiming to make a big push with respect to marketing to convert the trust into an ETF on the backdrop that it would yield an immediate, like, 90% ROI, right? So that is also a cause to deploy more Bitcoin and ETH, or at least buy more shares. So when I was like thinking through this out loud, my, my gut reaction is, all right, if this is true, if the trust, if the sponsor of the trust, which is Grayscale, is intentionally trying to deceive potential investors by not acting in accordance with the fund's original objective, which is to maintain the market price of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like, why would anybody invest, right? And there's two investor classes we have to cover. So the first one is retail investors. I try to answer the question, what would compel a retail investor to deploy their dollars, you know, because they're buying secondary shares of, of the trust, into an investment product that has a 2% management fee that's based on the net asset value with a fluctuating market price that has historically traded at a premium or a discount, like it's never traded at spot like Grayscale Trust. I mean, we can look this up now. I'm going to see this really quick. It, the same is true for Ethereum. Look at performance. You can see as long as the trust has been like publicly traded, it's always traded at a premium to the holdings per share or the market price per share. So uh, this is uh, this is at a discount. It starts being at a discount at January 2021. So you can see when the market price per share is greater than the Bitcoin holdings per share. Uh, that's at a premium when the market price per share is at a discount to the is less than the Bitcoin holdings or Ethereum holdings per share, then that's a discount. So, uh, like, why why would an investor do that, right? If uh, you could probably surmise why, but humor me for a second. And then on the re- on the institutional size, what would what would compel an institutional investor to deploy? Bitcoin and ETH into a one-way trust that suspended redemptions and has stated multiple times that it would only resume redemptions if approved by the SEC, which the SEC has denied 13 prior times. I think this might be the more important question because if institutional investors don't deploy Bitcoin or Ethereum into the trust, then there is no trust. There can be no trust without institutional investors. It's called private placement, doing private placement investments into the, the the grayscale trusts so what would what would be the catalyst to have an investor take so much risk put their bitcoin put their ethereum into one way trust where the trust sponsor grayscale has said you're never going to get it out unless the sec approves it and by the way the sec has denied 13 other requests right is agreed. I originally wrote. I originally stated the answer was agreed, but then I crossed it out and said it's actually a capital appreciation. And I I wrote about this in uh, an article that I'll paste in the show notes. But the reason retail investors deployed U.S. dollars into the Grayscale Trust by purchasing uh, secondary shares on the market is prior to 2021. 
they thought that BTC would appreciate in value at a higher rate than other equities in the brokerage account. Remember, if you wanted to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum in your brokerage account, the grayscale was the only way to do it. It's the only way to do it. So maybe individuals who wanted one or two percent exposure would be forced to deploy capital into grayscale via fidelity or via fidelity, right? That was true up until 2021 when we had the less crypto winter and grayscale started trading at a discount. So then the thesis traded in 2020, the thesis changed in 2021 where retail investors could buy GBTC and ETH at a discount, right? Which is what we're seeing right now. And once the trust converts to an ETF, the holdings per share and the market price per share would converge to spot parity. And you would have like a 80% return as of, as of 126, right? And again, that that's like an artificial constraint set forth by like government regulators. It has nothing to do with the performance of the Bitcoin and Ethereum trust. On that investment thesis, you're you're not even betting that the value of Bitcoin is going to go up or the value of Ethereum is going to go up. What you're betting on is that the market price per share of Grayscale will converge with the Bitcoin and Ethereum holdings per share, which can only happen uh, if there is an ETF conversion. And, and, and like in plain English, it means if the market price per share of Grayscale is $12, but based on its net asset value, it should be $20. When the spot, when the ETF conversion is approved, that means the um, the share would immediately go up to $20, like overnight, instantly, right? So that's why I, that's like my assessment as to why uh, retail, investor, retail investors would, you know, roll the dice and take such a risky position on GBTC and ETH. And hell, I did it too. And I, and I still stand by that. I think it's a great trade, you know, even on the backdrop of all this uncertainty. Institutional investors, on the other hand, uh, were deploying uh, BTC. Institutional investors were deploying uh, BTC and Ethereum into Grayscale. I can know this because retail buyers are willing to pay a premium to own Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like that's why. So what would happen was institutional investors would deploy, would deposit Bitcoin and Ethereum into the Grayscale Trust via the private placement opportunities and then receive shares of GBTC. ETH in return. There is a six month lockup period though, where they can sell it. But since the shares are trading at like 40 to 50% of the uh, underlying assets value at a premium, they would just sell their positions six months later to retail investors in, in part one. And it was a, it was a great trade. And that's actually what, uh, that's what three AC did. And when you see in 2020, 2021, 300,000 shares of Bitcoin were deposited, it was all because of that. They're like investors were trying to capitalize on that premium. But what we end up realizing and, you know, hindsight to 2020 is that it doesn't matter what side of the party, what side of the trade you were on, whether you're a retail investor sending USD to get GBTC on the secondary market or whether you're an institutional investor sending BTC to receive GBTC or ETHE that you have to hold for six months before selling it. Grayscale was making money on every trade, right? Grayscale collected a 2% management fee from the retail from the retail side and Grayscale collected the 2% management fee from the institutional investor side. So that's why. Now, 
the fund starts to underperform. And again, underperformance uh, in the context of the trust is where the holdings per share is greater than the market price per share. That means there, if Bitcoin is trading at, if you were to divide the number of Bitcoins held in the trust possession, held in the trust possession, and divide it by the number of trust shares, as of like November 2021, you would get like $61 a share. So you would expect the share price to be $61, but it actually wasn't. Like on November 2021, the share price was $52, right? That's because it was shooting at a discount. If all the investors were really upset about this scenario, like trading at a discount, why wouldn't they just withdraw their Bitcoin and Ethereum they deposited, right? This is called redeeming the trust shares for the underlying asset. And if you think about this, if there is a sustained reduction of assets under management, that would force Grayscale to like reevaluate its management fee structures and also reducing the quantity of digital assets in possession of the trust would also increase the spot price or market price of the trust shares. I call this forced imperity. Okay. Why did this happen? It didn't happen because it couldn't happen. And here's where like, like all the lawsuits start to get kind of dicey and, And they might it might has have some merit if you think about it. And let's we'll have to walk let's walk through this together to understand why. So remember, Grayscale said trust shares cannot be redeemed for their underlying asset because of regulatory constraints related to regulation M. Regulation M is a ruling within the SEC that facilitates asset conversion to an ETF, right? So the only way Grayscale can ensure that the trust holdings per share is equal to the market price per share is if the trust is converted to an ETF and one of the steps in that trust is regulation M requirement. I wrote an article about regulation M in, in great detail. I'll put in the show notes for those who want to review. Right, so because of this uh, regulatory constraint, depositors of ETH and Bitcoin to the trust were not able to withdraw their assets, hence the one way in, no way out. But we've always operated under the assumption that Grayscale is acting in good faith to actually move towards an ETF conversion. Remember last year they sued the SEC and have stated in multiple times across multiple Grayscale newsletters that I'm quoting, Grayscale is unequivocally committed to converting GBTC, ETHE to an ETF. We have left no stern unturned. We have leveraged the full resources of the firm behind this effort. And in true grayscale fashion, we will operate in the best interests of our investors. That is the June 2022 um, Grayscale Investor Newsletter. So the question I have to the listeners and, and viewers is, what if the inability to redeem grayscale shares for its underlying asset was not a byproduct of regulatory oversight, but it was rather intentional restrictions on stockholder redemptions created by Grayscale purposefully to maximize management fees. Okay, so let's let's unpack that a little bit by reviewing the history of Grayscale. So we went through a bunch of... Um, SEC filings, regulatory filings, legal documents, and the net net of all of that is Grayscale's trust agreements and restated declarations, with their, which are just modifications to the agreements of the trust after they've been published. 
It's a lot of legalese, but it, it's pretty simple once you like think about it. So in 2013, Grayscale launched the trust, right? It was a private investment vehicle. It was not available to retail traders. There was no like GBTC, ETHE, ETHE share that you could like buy on your Fidelity account. It was the Wild West. 2013 was like back in the Mt. Gox days. So 2014... I, but recall in 2013, uh, you investors were able to redeem their Bitcoin. So I could deposit uh, $100 into the Grayscale Trust and receive Grayscale shares worth $100 of Bitcoin. And then I could redeem the $100 of the Grayscale Trust shares for $100 of Bitcoin or $100 of US dollar. That's called redemption, right? The opposite is creation. In 2014, Grayscale suspended the redemption program, citing the Regulation M ruling that we talked about, but it granted existing stockholders redemption rights. So new new stockholders into the Grayscale Trust weren't able to Uh, they were able to create shares, but not redeem shares, but existing stockholders had redemption rights. So in 2015, Grayscale became a publicly traded fund, which is what you know now know as the GBTC, THE, Grayscale Trust, that you can go to Fertility, E-Trade, and buy. Right? 2016, the trust declarations are amended to distribute, to essentially distribute Bitcoin upon redemption units uh, which is a fancy way of saying they can redeem trust shares again uh, for its underlying asset. And and here's what I found interesting is that uh, any future amendments or restatements to the trust could only occur upon written consent of at least 50% of the stockholders. So this is implying that if the trust wanted to restrict redemption rights, change the trust sponsor, change the management fee, so on and so forth, it would require at least 50% of the voter approval. But what else happened that year? In 2016, Grayscale settles with the SEC. Uh, in 2016, the SEC actually launched a cease and desist claim against Grayscale for violating uh, Regulation M. And I, it, it's kind of funny to like go through it back then. It was called Second Market. But the TLDR is that... Uh, Bit, which was the token before GBTC, agreed to cease and desist from causing any violations related to Regulation M of the Exchange Act, and then agreed to pay a whopping $53,000 fine. Can you believe that $53,000 is all they had to pay? And now the Grayscale Trust has over six, has $15 billion of assets under management charges $300 million in management fees per year. It's wild. So 2017, off the backdrop of the 2016 lawsuit, Grayscale completely eliminated the redemption rights and removed the uh, ability for stockholders to remove the sponsor, which again is Grayscale, except for very specific events. So what's wild is that this was like a two-for-one. Grayscale says, all right, stockholders, no longer can you redeem your shares for the underlying asset, which is now like the one-way the one-way deposit we keep describing. But you also can't remove us as your sponsor. And we're still going to charge you a 2% management fee. And they didn't even do this with like shareholder approval of at least 50%. It was wild. So... Grayscale makes these amendments, doesn't like do the vote, doesn't do the requisite um, 50% voting requirement, completely eliminates redemption rights. And then by 2018, uh, Grayscale doubles down on the elimination of redemption rights by saying that we're going to restrict all all stockholder redemptions unless... The sponsor receives, it's called the receipt of regulatory approval, but it's just the SEC granting section, granting regulation and relief and saying that uh, by 
redeeming shares of GBTC and ETHE for the underlying asset, Grayscale is not in violation of, you know, the regulation and requirements that were fined for in 2016. And, who, I mean, come on, man, 2016, they paid $52,000. Compare that to the $300 million of assets under ma- the $300 million management fee they're able to collect every year. It's wild. So now by 2019, uh, just remember, Grayscale suspended its redemption program and they paid the fine, 50000 bucks, right? What was kind of like a damning, and we saw this in their 10K, is that Grayscale, and I'm quoting this, stated that it's not seeking SEC regulatory approval because the trust does not believe that the SEC would at this time entertain an application for the waiver of rules needed to operate an ongoing redemption program. Moreover, the trust currently has no intention of seeking regulatory approval from the SEC. So the the Grayscale is saying at this point, you can't redeem your shares of Grayscale and Ethereum Bitcoin for real Bitcoin or Ethereum unless the SEC tells us and the only way the SEC is going to tell us is if we apply. But we're not going to apply because we don't think we're going to get approved. What are, isn't that wild? It's like, you're going to fail, so don't even try. By the way, keep paying our management fee. So by 2020, there was quite a bit of uncertainty with respect to the aggregate stockholder population. They were contesting the... the hypocrisy in Grayscale's position to revoke redemption rights really on two basis points. The lawsuit contends that regulation and compliance only mandates that the creation and redemption of shares can't be performed simultaneously. This is what an ETF does. Shares go in, gets converted to... uh, a basket of shares in an ETF. The ETF shares appear in the open market and they can be sold to the general population, right? The same process works the other way. When shares are sold, right, the basket of underlying assets in the shares are redeemed and the ETF holder gets their money back. The investors are saying Regulation M is only violated if the creation and redemption functions happen at the same time. Just don't do the creation and redemption at the same time, grayscale, and you'll be okay. That's part one. But part two is the shareholders who, the grayscale shareholders are also claiming that, hey, grayscale, you've never actually submitted an application for a waiver, so what the hell? How could you say that the trust is unable to grant redemption rights if you've never even applied? So that's 2020. So how does Grayscale respond to those claims in complete agreement? By 2022, Grayscale has eliminated all the language in their 10K citing the belief that the SEC would deny approval for the redemption program, right? So in 10K is prior to 2022, Grayscale would say, hey, sorry, investor, we can't enable, we can't perform this redemption because SEC won't let us. By 2022, Grayscale removes it completely. I mean, I... I and I'll just read a quote from the, I pulled up the, uh, their 2022 10K. Note that the language now says, subject to receipt of regulatory approval from the SEC and approval by the sponsor and sole discretion, the trust may f- in the future operate a redemption program. That is a dramatic change in language from their 2018 language, uh, their 2018 SEC that says, the trust does not believe that the SEC would at this time understand an application for the waiver of rules needed to operate an ongoing redemption program, so we have no intention of seeking regulatory approval. And just think about like the backdrop of funds 
under management from 2018 to 2022. Remember in 2018, the trust had about two, about $750 million of assets under management, which yielded maybe $28 million of management fees. By 2022, the AEM grew to 30 billion, which is $600 million in management fees. That's an increase of 2,000%. A 67% increase for the period reported in 2021 over 2020. So that's the claim, at least from part one of the lawsuit, that um, the Grayscale Trust isn't operating in the in the isn't advocating for its stockholders because it is intentionally failing to ensure the holdings per share price is equal to the market price per share. But Grayscale then says, and I think this, everybody knew or should probably remember this, right? There's an ETF conversion. What about the ETF? The entire premise of Grayscale converting to an ETF was that it would force spot parity on the market price per share as well as the asset price per share. So it kind of doesn't make any sense. Like, what? why would Grayscale intentionally underperform on its one goal of ensuring parity between the asset price per share and the market price per share. And then on the other hand, also sue the SEC to try to bring the market price per share and the asset price per share into parity. This is where it gets really wild. Virtue Ventures is saying that this whole like ETF conversion is just a facade, right? It's an exploitative and wasteful campaign destined to drag out in the courts for years. An elaborate marketing expense to lure retail investors into the trust with no way out. And uh, my immediate gut reaction was like, how, how is this possible? And the claim they make is the purpose of the trust has morphed over time. In 2013, when Grayscale started, uh, the founder stated that the trust was only suitable for accredited investors. And I found like a deal book article from way back when that says, because of the risky, I'm quoting, because of the risky nature of Bitcoins, they should not be sold to ordinary retail investors who could buy ETFs. It's premature for this kind of product to be in the public market. It should not be available to unsophisticated investors. This was in 2013. And compare that with 2022, where now Grayscale is saying that, oh, wow, everyone should or Bitcoin, and they can do that with an ETF, right? So what happened? From 2013 to like maybe 2016, Grayscale trade stayed true to this vision that uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum should only be available to accredited investors. But in 2016, I posted a tweet on this. They launched their drop gold campaign to attract retail investors, implying that holding gold in their portfolios was stuck in the past. And I did some math, and you can check on frontrunjohn.com or my Twitter account, frontrunjohn, that $1 invested in 2016, if you put that in Bitcoin, it's $39 today. If you put that in Ethereum, it's $1,249 today. And gold uh, ETF, it's only $2, right? So what happened? 2013, uh, Grayscale says, no, 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 accredited investors only. 2016, they start to, you know, maybe change change their attitude. And then by 2021, when Grayscale has a new CEO, which is the 34-year-old uh, Michael Sosshinen, his first mandate in a company newsletter was to convert the Grayscale into an ETF, Right. From the 2021 newsletter with the new CEO of Grayscale, each Grayscale product is at various stages of this life cycle, and our intention has always been to, quote, convert these products into an ETF. But from the 2013 quote, literally the founder of Grayscale is saying, uh, ordinary 
They're saying due to the risky nature of Bitcoins, they should not be sold to ordinary retail investors who could buy ETFs. Literal 180 from the founder's vision, right? So how does like Grayscale begin to like manifest this change in attitude? And if you've been around a couple seasons, there's like a couple, I think, super apparent ways that Grayscale is trying to push the uh, ETF dialogue on retail investors. Remember, there was the How Dad Got the Bitcoin ad. There was uh, making Grayscale, making crypto accessible to the masses. Grayscale in your 401k. There were templated letters that Grayscale issued about how you control your support with Grayscale in the SEC. There were email reminders about submitting comments to the SEC. There was even advertising that pushed for converting the trust into an ET. And I think this is uh, in Washington, D.C., Penn Station. There's I have an ad that says... Um, We took over all the ads in the station because we care about crypto investors, right? The SEC wants to hear from investors like you. Scan the QR code to advocate for a Bitcoin ETF. Wasn't this the exact opposite of uh, what the founder's vision was in 2013, stating that Bitcoin is not suitable for retail investors being ETF? wild right so then there's that backdrop that the that the plaintiffs suing uh grayscale and dcg make like number one you are not actually advocating in the interest of the shareholders as reflected by the divergence in the market price per share versus the asset price per share you have the one way in no way out uh, constraint that they believe to be self-imposed, not a byproduct of actual regulation and requirements. And then number two, this ETF conversion marketing campaign is just a ploy to get more retail traders to buy shares of the Grayscale and Ethereum trusts to which will hopefully increase the actual price per share. There's no actual meat behind the ETF conversion, right? If through these advertisements, the claim is that Grayscale is attracting retail investors to buy shares of the trust in that when the trust is approved for ETF conversion, the holdings per share and the market price per share would converge on one, which you can see like it's it, the spreads as wide as 50% at sometimes. So that's great. That's great skill. But like, we haven't really talked about like digital currency group. And this is where the, the third piece of the puzzle really starts to unfold. Right. Part one is the intentional misalignment of investor interests. Part two is the failed marketing campaign. And part three is the lack of independent oversight. So, what we found is that Grayscale and DCG share the same CEO. Grayscale and DCG share the same audit committee. And Grayscale, within the DCG audit committee, that's also the Grayscale audit committee. Its members are the CEO, CEO, and CFO. So it's literally the people. And for those who don't know, the audit committee is like the governing body responsible for financial reporting of the uh, of of the organization so like literally the people responsible for the financial health of grayscale it's the ceo coo and cfo of dcg i guess even worse because like grayscale actually acknowledges that there's no formal procedure to resolve conflicts of interest but rather to rely on grayscale's management team which is the same management team of dcg and like here's the the quote from their uh 2021 10k the sponsor has not established formal procedures to resolve all potential conflicts of interest consequently shareholders may be dependent on the good faith of the respective parties subject to conflicts to resolve them equitably the sponsor attempts to monitor these conflicts but it is extremely difficult if not 
impossible for the sponsor to ensure these conflicts do not, in fact, result in adverse consequences of the trust. They're saying, hey, we're the CEO of DCG, CEO of DCG, CFO of DCG, uh, which, by the way, owns Grayscale, and we're also on the audit committee of Grayscale. There's no, like, independent governance board, independent entity ensuring that Grayscale acts in the best interest of Grayscale and not necessarily in DCG. And what you can see now is, given that the DCG management team is also on the audit committee of Grayscale, perhaps the decision to eliminate redemption rights on the basis of Regulation M might be a byproduct of maximizing the trust management fee, which goes directly to DCG, as opposed to ensuring the market price of the trusts is actually equal to the uh, assets price per share. And that's the third part, but the fourth part is now like the reliance of, we call it affiliated service providers within the DCG corporate entity. So it's already bad enough that Grayscale and DCG share the same like governance oversight board, the audit committee. But in order for Grayscale to create and redeem shares and to price the actual asset of Bitcoin and Ethereum, it has to be done through other subsidiaries within DCG. So Genesis is the only subsidiary. Genesis is the only entity that could create and redeem Grayscale shares. Grayscale uses the Coindex index to calculate the price of the trust. Grayscale relies on Coinbase to custody its holdings. And remember, Coinbase, uh, DCG is a minority owner of Coinbase. So you put it all together, Grayscale is at the bottom, DCG is at the top. Grayscale relies on Genesis in the middle to create and redeem Grayscale shares. Grayscale relies on Coindesk to calculate the price of the trust index, which is owned by DCG at the top. And Grayscale relies on Coinbase to custody all of the assets, which DCG is a minority owner in. It's, it's kind of crazy, right? So, given these claims, how does... How does the audit committee, which again is the CEO, CFO, and COO of DCG, how does the audit committee of Grayscale respond? Uh, generally, in speak, generally in complete agreement. We pulled up their most recent uh, 10K, and they've essentially stated that, and I'm quoting, the audit committee has the responsibility for overseeing the financial reporting of the trust, including the risk and controls of the process and such other oversight functions that are typically performed by an audit member of a public company, right? So in a public company, the audit committee is not the CEO, it's not the CFO, it's an independent, it, at a minimum, it contains other members not affiliated with the parent organization to ensure some sense of like independent decision-making or independent governance body. But they go on to say in the 10K that the audit committee consists of uh, uh, Silbert, Sonashine, and McGee, all board members of DCG. It's pretty wild. So to put this all together, there's really four pillars. Number one, the claim is that DCG is... Grayscale is completely beholden to the DCG management team. Grayscale is intentionally slow walking regulation and conversion under a self-imposed set of constraints. Number three, Grayscale is attempting to maximize both institutional investor, institutional and retail investor inflows at the expense of its trust goals, which is you know market price parity with the asset price. And Grayscale is orchestrating the elaborate marketing campaign to increase inflows on the pretense of an ETF conversion that will never happen. So all those ads you see in Penn Station, it's just a go drop gold. It's just a facade to get people to deposit to buy shares of Grayscale Trust. 
on the hopes that an ETF conversion will happen. That will never, ever happen because the SEC has to end all the 13 claims, right? The question, like, I'd want to know is, like, is any of this working? Like, is the is the uh, number of Bitcoins in possession of Grayscale going up? Is the share price of Grayscale going up? Is the spread going down? You know, right? If more people are depositing ETH and Bitcoin to the trust, that could be one way. To, and on the other side, more people are buying shares of the trust. It converges at parity. So when I reviewed the Grayscale Annual Reports from 2019 to 2022, what I concluded is that all, this is wild, let me zoom in, 50% of the trust growth came in 2020. So uh, 635 Bitcoins were in possession of the trust as of the end of 2022. 353,000 were acquired in 2020, right? That is almost 50%. But when you look at 2020 to 2021, the fund contribution declines by 85% in 2020. 353,000 Bitcoins were deposited in 2021. 50,000 were deposited in 2022. Zero were deposited. Why? So why did this happen? Well, 2021 was the year that the trust began to trade at a discount to its native asset value. Right? So the reason investors were deploying BTC and ETHE, BTC and ETH into the trust holding it for six months, selling it on the open market to capture the premium, that premium was disappearing. In addition to that, the rolling six-month lockup period of shares becoming tradable ended on January 2021. So that means all of the shares bought six months prior that couldn't be sold now could be sold. So now you have a double whammy where the premium begins to trade at a discount and a new batch of shares are unlocking. And the net result is that um, institutional holders of the Grayscale Bitcoin and Ethereum Trust now start dumping their position onto retail traders, which only further decreases the actual market price per share of the trust, but also increases the discount to its net asset value premium or sorry spread so let's let me repeat that again institutional investors are selling uh shares of the trust on the open market to capture the the premium trade while it's still there many many shares are getting sold there's also the crypto winter that we've talked about in the past this is in 2021 put all that together the trust starts to trade at a discount which causes the trust shares to decrease which causes the spread of the market price per share and the asset value per share to increase and what you have is somewhere is nearly 50 percent discount to its uh, to its asset value right the net result institutional traders are selling their newly unlocked and still profitable shares of GBTC on the open market to retail bag holders. They were doing this at such a clip that Grayscale, Grayscale had to suspend its private placement contributions in 2022. I actually went to Grayscale recently and tried to um, create a private placement account to see if I could, like, you know, uh, buy some shares of GBTC and ETHE by depositing BTC and ETH, right? And Grayscale stopped while they suspended, halted the private placement contributions in 2022 to backstop the widening discount to its uh, net asset value. If you think about it, more Bitcoin than Ethereum is coming to the trust. The trust shares are going down. That increases the spread between the uh, market price per share and the asset price per share. And it's a double whammy. No one's buying and more assets are inflowing. The net result is at least what the plaintiffs are claiming is that Grayscale suspended all, um, halted all contributions in an effort to 
backstop the price of the trust shares in the public market. And that's why you see in 2022, there are only 635,000 Bitcoins in possession of the trust, which is a decrease of 644,000 from 2021. And it will keep going down every year. It will keep going down every year until the trust enables private placement. So I put this all together and we can conclude that although the net asset value discount spread has closed by 15% from its value of 48, 48% to 41%. And the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust has seen an increase of 51% from its 780 per share low to its current price of 1236 that I predicted what happened and I wrote about it and it's in the show notes. I'm willing to like at least attribute a small amount of this gain to the grayscale marketing that's been that's been enforced over the past year, as well as the suspension of new deposits. But I would for sure to continue to proceed with caution. I think if you have any position in the grayscale trust, I encourage you to visit redeemgpdc.com because it has a lot of information on the lawsuit that's unfolding. With that said, that concludes today's episode. Um Putting it all together, the super, super, super speed run is Grayscale has no independence oversight board. It's beholden to DCG. Grayscale is intentionally slow walking regulation and ETF conversion. Grayscale is attempting to maximize inbound flows at the expense of institutional investors and retail traders. And Grayscale's marketing campaign to convert to an ETF conversion is one big facade. Given that I own uh, shares of GBTC, what I'm actually confident in is that the assets are there and whether it's by appointing a new sponsor or through SEC litigation, there will be a day when the trust shares are redeemable for its underlying asset. And when that happens, it will be a net windfall of 80 to 150%. So you got to put the long game in this, but that wraps it up for the day. If you want to know why I put in the show notes, Stay tuned in part three. We will cover, we'll tie this all together. Part one was talking about Gemini and Genesis. Part two, we talked about Grayscale. Uh, in part three, we're going to tie the Grayscale accountability, the DCG conflict of interest, Genesis bankruptcy, the Gemini and 3AC implicit support model. We're going to tie it all together in a masterclass of corporate fraud. Uh, this is the kind of stuff they, that they taught you like when you're getting an MBA, I mean, or it could be a really good movie, one or the other, but until then, I'm your host, John Cook. Thank you for listening. Remember, we are on a journey to front run the next generation of wealth creation that we believe is decentralized finance and crypto. If you like this analysis, you want to learn more, maybe you didn't like it, hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, share it with your friends. And subscribe to our free newsletter at frontrunnercrypto.com. And remember, don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Because you could lose it all. You could lose it all for sure. So until next time, guys, peace.